0: host, Paul Bass, inviting you to look behind the headlines on the stories that make New Haven thick. Good morning to New Haven Mayor Tony Harp. Great. Good, Good morning, Paul. How are you? It's great to see you. Good seeing you. Mayor Harp is here in the studio for her regular Mayor Monday checkup on what she and we are up to in New Haven. You can join the conversation by posting a question on our New Haven Independent Facebook Live page or by calling in at 203 872 elm that's Bob's personal line, 203-872-7356. Today's program is made possible in part. Thanks to support from Bertram Moses PC and from Gateway Community College in downtown New Haven. Thanks, Gateway. Thanks, Bertram. Thanks, Mayor Harp. Nice to see you. Great to see you. What was the highlight of your weekend?
1: Uh, you know, I think it was the um, toy drive over that the Firebirds did. It was really um Really, a lot of fun, and also the tree lighting over um, in Hill South. That was really nice too. Go
0: one by one on those. So the Firebirds of the African American uh, Firefighters Association. When Mm -hmm. and where was their tree lighting? What was involved? Well, they didn't do a toy drive. Sorry,
1: they did a toy drive. It was at the um, the Elks Club. They did it in conjunction with uh, Alpha Kappa Alpha and with um, the Elm City Club of the National. Uh, association. Oh, so they
0: used the fraternity. Isn't that a conspiracy in New Haven? The fraternities involved, the sorority, up to uh, some evil work, like giving uh, toys away. But they
1: were all there doing different things. The toys were uh, the Firebirds, and uh, the hats and gloves and mittens were uh, the um, AKAs and the uh, Elm City Club. So they so. gave
0: kids hats and gloves and mittens?
1: Yeah, that's really controversial. And uh, But you
0: know what? I actually <laughs> think it's notable. Yeah. Because it's great that we give presents out. We do these toy giveaways. But sometimes when I report on these toy giveaways, it's all good. Nobody does mm-hmm. anything wrong. But I kind of feel there's such an overemphasis on toys and like boxes of things that you use for a little while. And you kind of overdo it sometimes. Whereas kids need mittens and scarves and gloves. I mean, that's, and, and they
1: also had coats and jackets
0: yeah, there too. That to me seems like A1 priority.
1: No, and I think it was really great. A lot of the parents were so really grateful. <laughs> <laughs> we're really grateful that they could also get jackets and coats and scarves, as well as, and the kids were grateful for the toys.
0: Now, you do <laughs> a lot of this in this season, Mayor Harp, and so yeah. do we as reporters, but I think you go to a lot more of these. Just in every neighborhood, they have some kind of treat thing or toy giveaway. and or some kind of communal event. It's a it's a time in the city. And
1: you know what? Everybody here takes it for granted. They think it's done everywhere. Well, guess what? It's not.
0: Especially at the neighbor level, like you mentioned, yeah. was it Hill South? <laughs> yep. And I still, I'm ever going to get used to the idea of Hill South and Hill North when I think they're East and West. Do they really have an identity as Hill South? You,
1: and you know what? You confuse me too. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
0: when, when, I don't, I don't know which on one this. to call it. But you know, if you but call you it about the wrong yeah. Okay. See, now Kimberly Square doesn't that feel like a place? It is a place. Yeah. What I mean is, like that, you could picture in your mind. Uh, absolutely, Avenue and, and, a, and a it's a, yeah.
1: it's really a triangle and not a square. But that's you know. a good point. That's a really good point. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> City Park. Yeah. Yeah. City park. Yeah, I love that. And the tree this tree. year is beautiful. I was there last year, and the tree was nice, but it's a tree that actually lives in the park, and. um, it's grown so well. The people have taken such good care of it. It's gotten nice and full, and it's, it's really quite beautiful. So they
0: don't have to bring one in so it's alive, and it'll be alive past the season. So they just yes. have to be kind of gentle with how they string the lights up and everything. Uh, yes. So you were there, and I always love that time of day when day turns into night. I love dusk and early evening. It feels very it's spiritual beautiful. to me any day of the week. And that that gets combined with turning on the lights of a tree, I think it adds to the magic the first time.
1: And you know the um, Yale New Haven Hospitals Women's Line, I think they call it, which um, I believe is their Women's Clinic. Um, they one of their leaders there is uh, Pam DeLaramy, and she gets all of the nurses and doctors in that um, in that Women's um, uh, Medical Office to uh, donate the toys. And cider and um, cookies and other kinds of things. So uh, Yale is um, in that particular group because Pam DeLarame lives in
0: um, Hill South, <laughs> or in the in the square circle. I mean, the square, <laughs> the square triangle. So the role of a mayor, in these cases is important that you show up because actually, I think these events are important for neighborhoods that for them to have their identity, whatever they're right. calling themselves. That, mm-hmm. uh, they get something to do together. And, you know, this time of year, I think when people feel, especially Christians, feel like they want to be part of something a time of year. They're part of a larger community, families, branches out into tribe and community. What do you feel like when you go, what's your main role there? It's just to show that the mayor cares, a part of enjoying the fun. Is there any other kind of message that gets through? Or is it after the political season, a time to just sort of have New Haven be together as New Haven?
1: Well, I think that for a lot of events around the city, people really want their mayor to be there. But I, I wasn't the only elected official there. David Reyes was there, as was Dolores Colon and yeah, uh, Ron Hurt. Yeah. And they'll
0: probably be at one next Sunday in Beaver Hills, and there's always one at City Point, right? Right, yeah. Well, there are a lot of them.
1: And yeah, and so I, I think that, um, and it's what's unique. I was talking to um, one of the officers that I work with, and and he was saying that uh, he grew up in, other, in, in in the Waterbury area, and lives in a suburb, and those kinds of things just don't happen there.
0: Or if they happen, it's not quite as big. So you had the big enchilada, of the season starts right. with the big tree on the green. And, and they probably have something big tree. like
1: that, but not neighborhood Navy by level, neighborhood. Which I think is part of what
0: makes New Haven. Yeah. That's what, one thing I love from the day I came to New Haven. That was one of my favorite parts of New Haven, where the neighborhood identities and feel, and they're all a little different. And
1: And people get together, and they sort of create their own identities, and they do things together as a yeah. community, which... It's really amazing.
0: So you had um, you had the big tree lighting, and that's also going to be a much bigger event than it used to be. Oh, had, it's huge! Thousands of people come, <laughs> and they have rides, and pe- choirs sing. And, yeah,
1: there was a fair as well,
0: and a yeah, wagon that was near pulled that around. Yeah. I'm scared <laughs> of the heights, but uh, <laughs> no fun. Did you go on the Ferris wheel?
1: No, it was too cold.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you like Ferris wheel? I
1: I did as a kid. Yeah.
0: Yeah, not me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what um that's a kind of larger moment the whole green lights up it becomes a symbol i believe it becomes a symbol of a vibrant community i think it's so. a live community and and so many people care about that event but it's it's sort of a, a touchstone for and something we remember since i first came to new haven what was the, tell me about the candlelight, uh, the tree lighting last year last week what is there a moment that sticks out to you
1: well you know one of the moments one of the moments that um stuck out to me was that we actually had, um, uh, I guess there was a contest for the choir that would be singing when the um, tree was lit, and it was a, a local choir, um, and uh, they were fantastic, but what stood out for me was, this was before it was televised, there was a, um, a New Haven school that had its music department and all the kids the K through eight school and I'm blanking on the name right now, uh, but the kids were there and they were singing and they were having such a good time. Their parents were, were and and all of our neighbors were watching them and really enjoying them and and you know in many respects for those of us who celebrate Christmas it's really about the kids and really um, trying to bring some some warmth and happiness into their lives and you really felt that there with those young people.
0: So it sounds like for a mayor a big part of December is just being present. It's a time to be a community in a different way from when you're running for office or, you know, you'll have decisions to make still that every week, but obviously important decisions. But it seems like December has this separate, different kind of assignment to it.
1: It feels that way. And, um, you know, before um, we did that, we did Small Business Saturday. Right, I was going to lead to that. (laughs) Not just
0: Small Business Saturday. You did Shopping Westville. You do this idea of boosting local, shopping that you want people to buy gifts in new haven
1: exactly and that we want um we want new haven included in their um holiday celebration and we want it to become something that they do year after
0: year so i'm going to make a sick comment (laughs) when it affects us in the media is we have fewer obituaries in december
1: oh well that's good
0: it's kind of interesting i don't think it's been scientifically proven but sometimes people not consciously of course hold off when they die
1: they might. I mean, it, maybe it's unconscious, years. but I think yeah. they really, they have something to live for during December yeah, because so there's a lot see. of togetherness, a lot of love that you don't feel uh, sometimes throughout other parts of the year.
0: But well, We are feeling love on May or Monday at WNHH-FM 103.5, your home for community radio okay. and live streamed to newhaveninvent.org. We got some thumbs up here from on Facebook from Rachel here, Emma, and Janet Koch. Do you remember Janet Koch? Oh, she yeah. covered New Haven City Hall years ago, in New Haven Register. Oh, she yeah, lives yeah. in the northern part of the state now, but okay. she listens pretty Leslie. Thank you for listening, folks. We've got a few questions already. SALT. Okay, let's think quickly. It's not the SALT like the Strategic Arms Treaty. <laughs> Aaron Good, believe it or not, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. It's people of a certain age. Aaron Good asks, does the mayor sense of how the GOP tax plan particularly changes to the SALT deduction? I guess that's state and local taxes. S-A-L-T, state and local taxes. deduction." Would affect New Haven's grand list. Oh, good question, Eric It did, is a good Aaron question. Aaron Good asks great questions. He really does, and, and I, don't... I have one. He has one other here, which you're going to like okay. too. Okay, oh, but let's talk. Let's see what if you're let's worth see if your it's salt. Better than the first one. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so salt. Uh, so that is a big part of the. The, the Republicans have passed the tax plan. They're going to have to reconcile it, but a big feature that's going to get them in trouble in non-hardcore red states because they're basically transferring wealth from blue to red states. Red States won the election. And uh, they're they're saying that you're no longer going to be able to deduct all your state and local property taxes. But they made an exception for Susan Collins. The way they got Susan Collins, the Republican of Maine, to support the plan mm-hmm. was that they had a deduction for up to $10,000, which I'd like to get back after you he- get your general statement. Sure. Doesn't mean it will remain in the final reconciled bill because obviously everybody's going to be... Um, everybody's going to be... Uh, Dealing with that, you know, having some provisions stay. But what's your overall, before you that, what do you, your overall take on the... Uh-
1: well, since most of what we get uh, locally is through property tax, and when I think about the $10,000 deduction if it stays in place, um, I think that for, and I don't know our average cost, but I would, I would think that there would be... Um, a few, and in certain neighborhoods, where you you would be hit or not be able to deduct um, your overage, but there would I would say the vast majority of people in New Haven that own their own home would probably be able to
0: yeah. deduct if it their, stays.
1: If it stays.
0: Um, you know, they're trying to get every last cent they can out of poor and middle class people so they can give more and more, <laughs> more of these breaks to rich people. It's kind of a bizarre process. It is. But and I, you know
1: what? And it, what's so really crazy is that poor people elected them um, yeah. into the office and they're just getting hammered.
0: And I think they're just so tired of feeling lessured at and looked down upon by coastal liberals that they're willing to vote against what we consider their financial interests. Yeah. yeah. But so I think I, what I hadn't thought about until I read Aaron's question was whether this for some people might be a tipping point where they can't pay taxes or they leave town or something.
1: I don't think it's going to have that effect here. It might probably in Fairfield County.
0: I'm going to say something heretical. What's that? I like what they gave Susan Collins. I think that was one case where the making sausage of legislation works. The overall Mm -hmm. tax plan, I think, got worse and worse over the weeks. I think it definitely had some very reasonable parts to begin with. Um, And that's true with any legislation. But if you think about it, In part, it's punishing states that already charge more taxes to fund government in blue states and rewarding red states where people don't pay as much local and federal taxes, right? Right. And I think that's part of how you win and lose elections. And we're doing pretty well compared to the red states. So my heart doesn't... It's okay to lose sometimes, you know, like politically, that I think red states won the election. And to that extent, I don't bother me until... Except I was bothered until that $10,000 deduction. Because what that means is that, as you just said... Poor and working class people will not be hit. However, I'm thinking about East Rock. So it's not just the wealthy who pay $10,000 or certain parts of Westville. Some people are over that $10,000 tipping point. And while in general, I happen to agree with the Republicans that with something like a $10,000 deduction, it is fair. But the problem is that cost of living is so different in different parts of the country. So what $10,000 means here is very different from what it means in Nebraska or Montana. So, um, so there are definitely some middle-class families that get hit and you have that subset of people in East Rock whose homes went up so much in value compared to the rest of our city so that in the revaluation in which we didn't raise taxes overall, because it was adjusted, some people got hit harder than Mm -hmm. others. So I do think there's going to be one more poke at the folks in East Rock. Just, I think that's going to be hard for them.
1: I think it will be, um, tough for them, but not just that, even the income tax changes. And the fact that they won't be able to be deducted as well, I think that's going to have a bigger impact on the city. Um, How so? Well, if you and maybe I'm I'm not thinking this through correctly, but um, I, I think overall, because it will have an impact on the state, we're already seeing people leave our state, um, and so if if the higher income people can't deduct their um, their their property tax they're getting they can't deduct their income tax then why wouldn't they go to a cheaper stay
0: so maybe this will be a population um change to red states yes think of florida north carolina south carolina and that's what i
1: worry about and then you know we we have enough of a problem trying to predict our revenues now and with every with with this incentive to leave
0: and there's a big change it's gonna be a problem for joel us. calloway wrote in i must admit i really like the tree lighting smiley face joel calloway thanks for that All <laughs> right. two right, cents right. we have a call i'm gonna guess you're oh he's off now okay sorry you can call back four one five if you'd like to be out with mayor harp here on mayor monday at wnhh radio on a three point five fm live steen aaron good the very good question asker has another question would the mayor care to share any memories of professor vincent scully he died last week. He's in his mid 90s. Oh my goodness. There was a great obit of him in the New York Times. Oh, okay. And I guess he given that you studied urban architecture at Yale, mm-hmm. he influenced he taught, I didn't know this till I read this obit. There's a lot I didn't know. He taught at New Haven for more than 50 years. Mm-hmm. He grew up in New Haven. Mm-hmm. Um and he became a very prominent architecture critic, academic. He he inspired and taught generations of leading architects and architectural writers. And what really happened was the pivot. The main pivot was the 60s. He was a big fan of modern architecture, brutalist architecture, whatever you want to call it. And then he did a 180. He said, look at what's happening in New Haven. We feel that this is dehumanizing landscapes. We want to have, he became an early proponent of the new urbanism, the Jane Jacobs model of mixing retail and residential together, have smaller human scale and cities have sidewalk life, all that kind of stuff and buildings that aren't just big sheets of concrete or glass that you can't uh, access, the, you can't feel a part of. And his lectures were the most popular. Yeah, so he tried to, but he tried to retire, I think it was 1991, and it was just too overwhelmingly popular. He had to come back and just, they found a way to keep him going till almost the end of his life. Mm. Any thoughts on Vince? Uh, on, on, uh,
1: well, I know when I him? was um, in graduate school, he was he, he was the person that everyone looked to. As the expert on um, on urban uh, development and urban planning, um, and really the face of cities and the way in which cities changed, um, and you know the thing that that is remarkable about him is that he was given the space to sort of evolve, and uh, and was still the authority even in that evolution, and I, and so um, I hold him in great esteem and with great respect.
0: How about how the ideas new urbanism is sort of the new religion the way that the old urbanism is the old religion
1: well i think that the new urbanism fits uh, better with the development of cities frankly and um in many respects is what is bringing more life into our cities across the united states not just here in new haven
0: No, it seems like such a given so like you and i completely i think buy into this idea i love the way we're developing new haven i love the way we rebuilt the schools this time i love the ways that we're making the city more walkable i like brick designs that have mixed media nice art on them i like the mixture of retail with commercial we're doing everything opposite the way they did new haven in the 50s and 60s i think if you and i were here in the 50s and 60s we would have thought that was the perfect way to go
1: i never liked it you never liked it well i was here in the early 70s but and i that saw time,
0: that was 10 years into the reasset- and, I, and i was
1: like who ever thought that this was the cool New Haven
0: coliseum and the like the temple garage or, and, and you know honestly the
1: the the, the uh, school of architecture i could never get over that i'm like oh my goodness
0: and that went opposite our trend of no obits in december didn't kids always like jump off of there to the <laughs> deaths? Like, no seriously that was like a yeah. suicide spot and, and i thought know, it was just... tied into the architecture it's a,
1: really I know that's
0: it's sick, but it's like I, that was
1: the sort of brutalist and you know, we we're, we're now confronted with having to figure out because it was cool at the time and you know, look at our police building, you know, it's oh, it's God. it's you know, it's 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 so sad. And so um, at least the new architecture is happier and more inviting.
0: All right. Well, for I'm going to take a week off from asking you if you're running for governor or Senate or Emir of the UAE. And I'm going to take a week off of asking you <laughs> what the latest is on the state budget because you said to me last week. You asked me that last week, or the week before. But people are writing in about the superintendent search, so we have to continue to talk about that because it's still on people's minds. Rachel okay. Hirama writes in I'm concerned about the difficulties encountered with the superintendent search. What is the role of the mayor to build trust and transparency? The role of the New Haven Independent? The role of student BOE members, parents, teachers, Dr. Burks? Thanks and happy holidays. So I think this person seems to be coming from a constructive place, saying, "Let's look at what just happened. What is each of our roles now in building trust and transparency?"
1: Well, I'm I'm hoping that that we will. I know that um, Dr. Burks has indicated that she will uh, open up, build trust, and transparency. And I and I hope that people don't think that trust and transparency means that you always agree. You know, like I think that sometimes That's how we she- disagree. It's how we disagree. We should be respectful of one another, and you know, frankly, um, we've got to understand that 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 different people see things differently, and so we've got to understand where that comes from. And maybe, um, um, and and maybe we've got to be a little bit clearer. I was just in a meeting earlier today, and you know, and a lot of times people don't say things because they've said them a thousand times before. But sometimes it's really important to explain from the beginning where your idea came from. And so hopefully we can do some of that, and, um, and we'll will move a little bit farther. But uh, for me, school change was really important. Um, the idea that you can educate urban kids and feel really... Um, that you have the skills to do that, you know, some of the things that need to be done to get that done. It's really important to me on this particular issue. And for those people who believe that, uh, I, I just want everyone to know that's where I start from. Uh, those urban kids are not that different than me, and I, want, I would have wanted my mayor to believe in me, and that's who I believe in, and I want a superintendent who does as well.
0: Okay, there was an earlier comment I just want to acknowledge. I mean, it, it raised a, a debate we kind of already had a, a last five weeks. Alicia Martindale was questioning why you didn't go with the community's popular choice, and you had argued last year that we had an open choice, but ultimately you spend many, many more hours interviewing the candidates, so you take in what the public says, and then you make the best informed decision that you can.
1: Exactly, and so that's, that's what we tried to do, and I know everyone is, is not happy about it, but you know, I think that they will ultimately be happy with Dr. Burks.
0: And then, so your role in terms of that, our role in the independent, I think, is to help people, hopefully she'll emerge in public at some point, we can interview her and talk about what she thinks. Our role was, I felt, to let all sides be heard. I think it's a good question, because I think underneath the question for each of us is, did we do the best we can with transparency? Mm -hmm. Did we fan flames of controversy, or did we enable points productively to be heard? It's always a good question for the media. I felt that when we, when we Facebook live streamed that Board of Ed meeting, that was useful because 7,000 people watched it. Mm-hmm. And I heard a lot about that and I felt that was a good use of media. But there's no question that we can do better, that we have to always keep in mind what's fanning controversy for the sake of controversy and making people more upset versus at the same time finding a, a way to get the important issues that are there discussed. So we'll, we'll try to do well and do better. Um, so, how are you going to introduce Dr. Burks? I know students wanted to meet with you. I guess this coming week at a forum, and you wanted them to come. Some of the student leaders to meet with you in your office. How's that going to work? There are all out of people well, meeting. Well, you know, Birx.
1: evidently, uh, my understanding is that the students don't want to do that. I'm going to go to their meeting. I had said that I would go, so I will go. Um, as it turns out, you know, everybody forgets this. Dr. Burks um, has another job. <laughs> And she has some responsibilities at her other job in Hartford. And so as soon as um, she can figure all of that out, and I think that, you know, with a person of her stature, that it, it can't be someone setting a meeting and, and demanding that you're there at that particular
0: point in time. Okay, but yeah, that, I'm, I'm going to need to use because i got to roll. It. Um, but, so so she, and she hasn't signed on yet, right? Aren't they still negotiating the... Um, uh,
1: and she, she's... Really not our superintendent yet. She hasn't, um, um, they haven't, she doesn't have a contract, long story short. Uh, her attorney and, and the uh, Board of Education's attorney, I guess, are currently in the process of negotiating that contract. this thing,
0: I, uh, I ran in. I was at, at and then
1: it has to be approved by the Board of Education and I think by, I don't know if it has to be approved by the Board of Alders because there was a change in state law. So, you know, like to ask her to come and talk prior t- to that, uh, although I think she, she might um, talk well, You're saying to wait until folks. she starts the
0: job and then she... Yeah, exactly. The, um, I happened to run into the theater last night. I was in Longworth Theater. I'm going to get back to this for The Chosen. And I ran into someone from New Haven who worked directly with Carol Burks in Hartford, and he was talking and his wife how much they were following this. He had a very positive experience with her. Good. And we were talking about how... And it struck me when we were talking... How little anyone really knew her, and it really wasn't about her. I think there were very legitimate questions raised in this process about what people want the schools to be, what direction they want to go in. I'm hoping it's useful and constructive, and that we do learn how to disagree constructively. But it'll be interesting to see what she's like. He said she'll be fine. Like he said, there are people who don't agree with her about this or that, but she's a very reasonable choice, and he thinks she'll do fine. And that the shift, we will have to shift our attention to that. She got caught up in a much bigger argument that really wasn't that much about her No, I a think lot that, about process and about charter schools and about, and he said, yeah. he said, and even the stuff that people, and he can't know her. He said it was interesting because he knows her. and it's not like he's her biggest fan. He said, she was good. She'll be fine. He said it really, what people even said about her didn't connect to any experience he had. He said, she really wasn't this like manic charter person. Wasn't the, you know, yeah. and that you can find people who do or don't like anyone who's had a position that's public. You can find articles that support or not support your position, but it's cherry picking. And his take was sort of like, it'll be interesting. She's a reasonable person. I hope she succeeds. And it'll be interesting to see the discussion shift to her and her ideas as opposed to what it was before.
1: And I, and I do think that, you know, there are a lot of fears that had to do with some things that happened previously with the um, New Haven public schools and board of education around charter schools that, people were concerned with, um, this whole, and there is, there's a debate going on in education about data and how it should be used. And, and, um, so whenever anybody says data in a public forum, it's, it's a charged word. And so, you know, like, but you know, what most people don't know because they weren't in the smaller meetings is that everybody talked about data so, you know, like, because she said it in a public meeting, doesn't mean that, that you're not going to have somebody using data. They all talked about using it. Uh, they all were going to use it in ways to sort of move the district forward. So uh, so charter schools data, uh, I think, were sort of really non-issues
0: all for right. me. All right, and let's move on from that. And let's remind people they are listening to Mayor Monday on WNHH Radio, your home for community at 103.5 FM, live-steamed at newhavenindependent.org. we got some other questions coming in. Tom Breen... Can you please give an update on the domestic violence prevention programs that you're planning on putting in place in your third term?
1: So what, what we're doing is we're in the process of, of we hope to have a family justice center and that will be one-stop shopping for someone who uh, some family that is confronted with domestic violence. So we're going to be working um, to try to get that established. But beyond that, we also think that uh, we'd like to see if there's a way to um, work on individuals who are, are more often the perpetrators and and um, and are sort of dysregulated and use violence as a way to express themselves. And so we've asked the um, Department of Psychiatry over at Yale to to take a look at it to see if there are any best practices that we can use for people when they are in the lockup when we have them or can recommend to the judicial branch and so those things are in development phase right now. Uh, they have been looking at it for perhaps about a month I've given them six months to come back with proposal and um, I'm really excited about it because no city to my knowledge, has um, addressed this aspect of it domestic.
0: You're talking about addition to helping those battered work with the batterers too. Yeah. Very, very, very interesting. I would look, back, look forward to you coming back on a future Mayor Monday and tell us what they told you.
1: And, you know, I mean, there are all kinds of things that we need to, to think about in terms of our system and and people who um, don't show up for their court dates and other kinds of things. And so, so we're going to be taking a deep dive.
0: All right. What is the latest? Another question on Facebook Live. What is the latest with live, work, learn, play at the old Coliseum site? Yeah, that's been just like off the radar.
1: It has been off the radar. And um, we're in the process of trying to to negotiate with the developer um, to begin the project. Um, there was, um, at least in the in the spring, late spring, early summer, there was concern that the... First site um, included some of a road that that everyone had thought years ago could be taken, but then when we looked underneath the road, there were um, all of these um, um,
0: uh, transmission lines. Yeah, yeah so then you, had to, you wanted them to redesign it and have the hotel in the main corner be over at MLK and State.
1: Right, right and so we wanted them to redesign it, so negotiating that... Um, getting them then to negotiate it with the architect. All of that has taken time. Um, What I've asked our development people to look at is whether or not they think this is ever going to happen. Yeah, I mean, is it
0: that... (laughs) I mean, you came into office with a deal that said they have, I think it was 14 years. But that there might be provisos in there that if nothing's happening...
1: Right, then we might be able to... um, to find a way to get them to quit the project. Why do they want to be sure. so
0: long? I mean, their own website says that construction will have already begun two years ago. I mean, <laughs> what, 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 is, what is their deal?
1: Well, you know, I think that they would like to see it work. They see the potential. And, uh, you know, in all honesty, I think all, it just seems like whenever you sort of move one step forward, you end up moving a couple of steps
0: back. Well, that might be cursed. There might be a jinx in that, but so much is happening all around it. I mean, we are still in that building boom. Last week, we talked at length about how quickly the Audubon Square project is going. Right. And then last week there was big news, and I always feel that like people don't talk enough about this. Those 14, oh, 11.4 acres, I think it is, in the hill, that's sort of between the Medical Center and the Uni- Union Station. We're talking between the Jersey South Road and Congress Avenue. There, that Since the middle 60s, that's been a wasteland. right? And we've tried to build on it for so long, and then you guys found a way by not reconfiguring a road, actually, to get someone to be able to build there. And it's going to be hundreds and hundreds of apartments and offices. And Randy Salvatore, who has a good track record and stuff up, is doing it. And a big break came last week. The state, despite having no money for most things, approved $5 million so that the first 110 apartments that he builds there on the site of the old Welch Annex Mm -hmm. will be affordable. Now, there's always the debate about affordable is, and it's a good debate. But the big picture is that you're pursuing a strategy that when people build a New Haven, we used to have to bribe them to build, now we don't have to bribe them because they can make money with right. my great apartments and build up our tax base. But ra- New urbanism. New urbanism, <laughs> right, and part of new urbanism being that we have a mix of uses and a mix of people. So you're right. trying to get, with the at the urging of the neighborhood, 30% of all the new housing, more or less, to be mm-hmm. affordable in some way. And that $5 million is gonna make it happen there, The approvals are in place and phase one is about to begin. He said he's going to be getting the shovels in the ground now because of that vote last week from the state bond commission. He says 33 of the 110 apartments will be affordable. And I think at the beginning of the year, we're going to have two major projects getting moving.
1: I think it's great. And you know, it's unfortunate about live, work, learn, and play. Uh, We're going to continue to um, work with them to see whether or not this uh, can move forward or not, if too many things have happened over time. And uh, stay tuned, we'll let you know.
0: I think we can easily think of 15 major projects being discussed. Is it realistic that all 15 are always going to move forward without problems or even one of them becoming dead?
1: Uh, Absolutely not.
0: So to have a couple done is a good batting average every couple of years. Yeah. I mean, I think if that hill project goes in Audubon Square, that will be a dramatic, and especially Muncie Street goes too, one of those two projects, the senior departments, that's a dramatic change in our landscape. A lot of new housing, including a lot of affordable housing in two of those three areas. Pretty quickly.
1: Oh, I think so. And, and, um, and r- really, within the next two years, we'll see a, a huge difference in our city. And that
0: was a, a great question. Thank you, Tom, on, yeah. on Facebook Live. Um, I do have my suspicions about Liverpool. <laughs> <laughs> I think they have those 14 years, and they have the incentive to just sit.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, they don't have to move.
0: Yeah. But, um, but there was another interesting idea that came up about development on the Pundits Program on Friday. Mm. So I was going to Howard Avenue near Hill South. Right. The Kimberly Square Triangle, <laughs> right across from the Kimberly Square Triangle, uh-huh. there's a row of houses,
1: uh-huh.
0: and three of those houses are owned by an Ecuadorian immigrant. He works two jobs. He's a factory worker in the day, and he's a, he works in a healthcare crew at night. He used to rent there when he came. He came here 20 years ago. With his wife has a family. Bought the first house he lived in. Bought the second. Made him really good. Third. He's trying to build up that block, and his name is um, Claudio Pinos. Hmm. I don't know if that last name is familiar to you, but his cousin is the New Haven manager of the Sanctuary and the Church. But Claudio is a citizen. Mm -hmm. And he's been building up that block. That block also has a building that for five years has been owned by J.P. Morgan Chase Bank. Hmm. And they have done a terrible job of keeping up that that block, that house. And your LCI, Liberal City Initiative, has been after them for years to keep it boarded up because they haven't. To keep all the trash off because they haven't. And so has Claudio Pinos, because he has everything invested there. Right. And they so about a year ago, there was a fire, mm. and it almost burned down. Luckily, no one died, but they think there was a squatter in there because it wasn't secured. LCI turned it up, and they wouldn't even admit they owned the building. Mm. And one of your LCI people, because they kept after him, had the fines up there now, $60,000 worth of fines on that building. And they went through... Dick Blumenthal's office, who finally got J.P. Morgan Chase to get someone to admit they owned it and said, we'll fix it up. And then they said, well, we we didn't get around to it. And there was a second fire a few weeks ago that burned it to the place that it had to be demolished. 21 people were sent out in the middle of the night and have to live. Red Cross has put them up in temporary. Mm-hmm. And two adjoining houses were set on fire, including Claudio Pinos's. So he's working with Jim Tersio, your building official, because he doesn't want to tear it down. If he gets enough insurance money, he's going to go back to fixing up. He's not giving up. But that's a problem, these banks from out of state. And I would say that I don't know many other cities that are as aggressive as we are trying to stay on top of it. We used to have an estimated 1,400 vacant properties in the city. It's now down to about 500, which is plenty. And the problem is these banks had so many bad loans from the Great Recession that we're just a speck and we have to keep after them. They don't take responsibility. Either they don't go through with foreclosure, they don't take responsibility, or they foreclose and you can't get them. And then the balance houses lose value. So on the one hand, we have this law that lets us fine them and it builds up quickly. Mm -hmm. So 60000 is a lot of money. We'll recover. It's sold. But the bigger the fines go, the harder it is for them to sell the house because you have those fines together building up. So sometimes if LCI wants it sold, they'll forgive the fines. Any thoughts on what we can do with these banks? And then I'll tell you the idea that came up Friday.
1: Oh, okay. Um... Honestly, I I can't wait to hear the idea. I really don't not know because I I worry because we were in our pension board meeting and they're saying that the banks are at it again and some of the same um, kinds of problems that happened before the big downturn in housing.
0: How did that affect pensions?
1: Uh, because we just talk about the economy and um, and 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 i don 't think that we do, but you know like there are some um some funds that invest in banks, and so it's important to oh that's know. interesting
0: yeah, and uh, I actually think New Haven does a lot of things right. I think the fact that we have this law that 's nine nine dollars a day and the interest builds up, and that we could take it by eminent domain, the question is do we take them sooner by eminent domain than we already are or not, and when is that smart we 're definitely doing that we 've had properties you know lCI has a board, and we go there every month, and they are gradually giving some properties over. Um, The idea that came up Friday was whether cities can unite, because this is by no means a New Haven problem. This is a Mm -hmm. city's problem and towns. But, you know, you're part of a group with Bill de Blasio in New York of mayors wanting to push an urban agenda. You're the president of the African-American Mayors Association. Would there be a way, in addition to the good work the city's doing now through LCI to keep after the properties, to find them, to sometimes take them to the domain, would there also be a way collectively to do a scorecard with uh-huh. the mayors? And because the problem is, our readers say, "I want to now divest from J.P. Ch- Ch- Chase Manhattan," and you have the people saying, "We want you to divest from Wells Fargo." Every single bank has a series of practices that's destroying cities. Partly it's the way they deal with these phantom properties, some times called zombie houses. Sometimes it's about you know the investment in the pipeline we don't like. Other times it's just they have predatory practices that are now with the, with the destruct, gradual destruction of Consumer Finance Protection Bureau under President Trump, there, there isn't going to be that kind of watchdog on those kind of predatory practices that led us to the Great Recession in the first place. In addition to what we're doing already, I'm wondering whether a national group of mayors can reduce a scorecard and then collectively exert consumer power, municipal power on the banks that stand out the most, because they all stink. But is there a way to use some kind of leverage on the bad actors?
1: I think there there, there might be, and uh, I think it's a fantastic idea. Because
0: Trump's it, not going to help you. We used to have the Community Reinvestment Act. We still kind of have it, but we don't have any kind of... The federal regulators are no longer going to be your friend.
1: Right. And so the, the real way is to, is to go after... I, I think it's a, it's a great idea. So what, we would need some help uh, developing the scorecard and making sure that it's a consistent across cities and uh and then uh a way to implement it. I think it's a phenomenal And then idea. maybe a
0: call on action like you're gonna have all these cities to vest and all there too bit harvey Harvey Koizum's dead. You remember him? He used to work with yeah, he's yeah. a retired banker who helped us with community investment There's a guy named Corey Stone in Hamden who also builds in New Haven, who helped Elizabeth Warren start the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau. Mm. And maybe he's someone, we could tap. people, there are a lot of people who could tackle her. And there's also a woman, I forget her name, who's a new two-year fellow in New Haven to work against predatory banking. Oh, okay. She was on our show. And they're like fair housing groups uh, and banking groups have these people littered. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's it really, out, like, I think it was Babs Rawls-Ivy had that idea oh, that was a killer.
1: It's it's a, It's a great one. And if we could pull together the intelligence to do the scorecard... I'd be happy to take it with me wherever I go and say, look, why don't we get together and do this?
0: In the meantime, my hat's off to Liberal City Initiative. I, we've always loved covering the work that they've done with the zombie houses and the banks. And it's always fun for me to go through the files to look at the frustration of over a year trying to find a human being to take responsibility to answer your call. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like. Uh, so my, my hat's off to that. And I want to remind you, listening, we just a couple minutes left on... Uh, on May or Monday, hey, another idea that came up was how are we going to deal with keeping cops here? Because is time every year when suburbs mm-hmm. are raiding our cops. And we, you have ongoing negotiations with the police department. We've talked about this on the show. We don't have, we're in financial straits. You know, luckily we're not in crisis the way Hartford is and Bridgeport has been and might be. But like every city and town in Connecticut, we're going to have to cut because of state cutbacks. And yet we have this problem with losing police officers to other departments because they can pay more and give better benefits. You talked about addressing that in negotiations. What is the update? And then I'll tell you about another idea that came on a show with John Voleka. Oh,
1: really? Oh, okay. Uh, well, we're in the pro- well. There's, there's still a negotiation. It hasn't been resolved yet, but I think everyone recognizes it as a problem. So um, we'll see where the negotiations take us, but we are going to do what we can. The other thought we had was to uh, go to the General Assembly and see if they would help. Um, by making cities pay um, the the real cost of taking someone and looking back longer than five. Right. years. Right. So
0: now they once they hit, is it even? Isn't it like two years? Once they've been a cop for two years, they no longer have to pay us because the idea is that we pay to train them, then the cop, the suburbs poach them. I mean, even Madison's been poaching us. Everyone's been poaching yeah. us. And that two years not a long time. I forget if it was thirty or forty thousand or more that we're paying to train each of them, probably more. More.
1: It's around sixty five thousand.
0: So, and what do we get back?
1: Um, I think it's a couple of thousand. It's not And plus, much.
0: a lot of times what they're doing, I was looking at the latest list, they wait more than two years, we don't get anything. So yeah. you're saying that one answer might be go to the General Assembly to raise how much they have to pay us and maybe the number of years? Right, right. And uh, any thoughts on numbers or just a general concept? Well, I think
1: they should pay us what it costs us because I I, I think that we should see this as problematic. Um, and, and sh- not do what we can to actually uh, to to help it along, which is what we have now. You're so- I'm, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, you know, we have some of the best training in the state uh, for urban police officers, and uh, I would say I would say that our police training, and I know that I'll, I'll probably get in trouble for this, is even better than posts mm-hmm. because of the work that we do with our police officers on uh, de-escalation. We and do some- have a really good. Economy. yeah and and so there ought to be something that we pay that is not just what it costs to train them what it would cost at post but what it costs us and what the loss of a police officer costs us
0: the um so the big dilemma this is one of those non ideological challenges for a mayor in modern mm-hmm. day is that you don't have much money to play with none and yet <laughs> and yet you, everyone seems to agree we need to pay our cops more and right. give them better benefits to compete in the suburbs How does that get solved?
1: Uh, you know, in all honesty, I don't know, but one of the, I mean, we don't even have to go to the suburbs. We just have to go to Yale police. They make so much more money than, um, than our police officers do across our whole spectrum of, 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 of officers. So, um, I, I really don't know how we, we solve it, but you know, one of the things is that we should really, our payment in lieu of taxes should go back up to 77. Like it, it, It it was intended to. Uh, It's. I think it's in the low thirties, and probably after this uh, general assembly, and it's probably in the twenties.
0: Wow! And I know there are two forms of pilots. So there's two. Yeah, there's college and
1: hospitals, uh, and there's uh, and there's um, state pilots.
0: John Valleca's idea, retired New Haven cop. What was his? Goes completely counterintuitive against everything New Haven officially says it believes. So he says we have 500 cops. He said there's no positions. There is no way we're going to be able to pay to pay cops what we need to pay them or benefits. Why don't we go to 400 cops and reexamine a fundamental part of community policing, which is walking cops. He believes that walking cops don't... Air. like Most of us believe walking cops get make you get to know the cops, have start problems before they start. It's a real fundamental part of community policing. He says he doesn't believe it works. He believes you can get out of your car and walk, get to know a neighborhood just as easily. It's a more efficient use of... of uh, of resources Mm -hmm. and that if you went to 400 cops, he believed we'd be just as safe and that we could afford to pay him more. I
1: don't agree. (laughs) (laughs) And I know he's a really smart guy and I know he's been looking at this for a long time. I, I think the intangibles, um, around community based policing and a walking beat, uh, outweigh, uh, jumping into a car, it's too impersonal.
0: As we said, we know how to disagree in New Haven very respectfully.
1: Yes, we do. And I really like him. And he has a lot of other good ideas.
0: Yes. I mean, you and I, I I love when we don't agree. It's not that often, but like, I I enjoy the way. I I think you're a very easy person to debate with. So, where are you flying to next now that Tweed has hit the big time?
1: Well, we're excited about Tweed and the Jets. jets. And you know what? Nobody heard them come in. That's how quiet they are. Now, so. so
0: they have new jets that have more seats. They're already filled up. There's more demand. I heard a rumor they're thinking now, not just having more seats per day, but they're thinking moving to more flights per day.
1: Well, I haven't heard that, and I just talked to uh, Tim Larson, but... Um, he would know. He would know. He hasn't mentioned that to me, but...
0: But there are more seats available now to fly out of New Haven. There
1: are. There are 50 in that plane, but only in the wintertime. Because oh. when in the summertime, uh, when there's a lot of heat and humidity, uh, because of the runway length, Um, You can't fill the plane. That's why we've got to pave the safety areas. Stay within the fence of Tweed that pave those safety areas so that we can get those planes filled year-round.
0: It's amazing the few times I got to fly out of Tweed, how much more convenient it is. Isn't it? And some of the people in the East Shore who don't, as a religious article of faith, oppose anything involving an airplane at the airport they move next to, say that they love (laughs) when they can actually walk to the plane. That's quite a... quite a.
1: No, they can. And, you know, honestly... That'd be a reason to buy there. And, you know, that we've soundproofed... Uh, we're going to soundproof over 184 um, houses. We've already done uh, about 50. But there so always be some
0: be, people as... They're, they're just the against other, it to be against it. But, you well, know, like... They just don't want any planes on the East Shore.
1: And, you know, in all honesty, I was out there when the first jet came in. You really didn't hear it. It's those propeller planes that aren't going away, folks. Get the jets, and at least you get the help of the FAA. All
0: right. Well, we got the help of Tony Hart today on Mayor Monday. Thank <laughs> you so much, as always, for coming in. It is always a pleasure as you fill us in on what's going on in New Haven. Any big events this week we should know about later today or this week?
1: Uh, you know, I can't think of anything, but we'll talk about it next Monday.
0: All right. Okay. I'll be here. Once you <laughs> be there, it'll be a date. And thanks to Bertram Moses, PC, and Gateway Community College for providing financial support for today's program. Thanks for your comments, folks. We got the most of them, and we love when you when you write in. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience performing I Wish I Knew, How It Would Feel to Be Free. From the CD of Plea for Peace, this is Paul Bass reminding us all that we do know what it feels like to be free. We just have to book our flight. Book your flight and fly free with us all day and all night long here at WNHH. New Haven's home for community radio.